Hey, it's Jordan. I'm delighted to be joined by a uh, great, great author, uh, thinker, Thomas Frank, uh, author of infamous book, one of the first books I read on politics, What's the Matter uh, with Kansas. Uh, also, Pity the Billionaire, uh, Listen Liberal, which is my personal favorite, and uh, recently had a piece in the New York Times about the uh, deadly lack of imagination of the Democratic Party. I could write another book just just with that headline. Um, Happy New Year. Yep. How are you doing in this in this new year? Uh, terrific. I have a two month old. Uh, so oh, hey, okay. congratulations. Me. Thank you. I uh, remember I remember those days. <laughs> yeah, it's been keeping me plenty, plenty busy. I'm writing a book, too. Uh, probably won't be as good as yours, but hopefully it'll see the light of day. Uh, that's on the the Flint water cover up, which is yes, uh, yes, another great subject. Uh, yeah, another great subject, and and now like what we're on administration number three. Yeah, on on this one, you know. Yeah, I wanted to start because I feel like on your uh, your fame topic of populism, we've seen a real uh, appetite for populism, but kind of dumb luck keeps getting in the way that kind of saves the elite. Uh, what I mean by that is, you know, the Bernie wave in 2016, I remember even going to Trump rallies. Uh, a lot of Trump supporters kind of liked Bernie and yeah. uh, didn't love uh, all his policies, but liked him and, you know, considered him because there was crossover with uh, trade and those kind of things. But then, you know, the Democratic Party put the fear of God at the existential threat of Trump. And that kind of uh, helped Hillary in 2016. Then 2020, uh, kind of in the reverse. Still, uh, Bernie was on the five-yard line. I mean, Chris Matthews was freaking out on MSNBC. You know, those were good times. Those were those were happy memories. <laughs> right, he was on the five-yard line. Great, that was so great. Uh, hey. For for a couple of days, he was considered the front runner, and then. Uh, the establishment got in his way and kind of made, you know, Trump again, the boogeyman. I, I wonder what you think about that, that populism has kind of uh, grown in popularity on both parties. But uh, the Democratic Party in particular has done a good job of creating these existential crises, at least the marketing that's yeah. uh, propped up the establishment. Well, I mean, yeah, that is true, but that is the story is goes back a lot farther than that. There's the appetite for populism in this country is, I would say, probably one of the number one facts about our political system. The appetite for populism and the systems, uh, the ways in which the system contrives to keep us from ever getting what we want, what we need, you know, what this country desperately has to have. Uh, and that's the sort of the, that is the genius of the American system is you've got this thing that everybody wants. Economic democracy. There's a lot of different ways of describing it. I, I would use the word populism. I, in fact, used to use the word. I'm a lot older than you. I used to use the word populism all the time because it meant something. Now it's the word's been poisoned uh, and you can't even use it. You know, people don't know what you're talking about. They think you mean fascism or something like that. The populist movement, um, which, by the way, uh, came from Kansas. The word was invented in Kansas in 1891. Was a social, an early form of a social democratic movement. It was, uh, it was uh, about. Well, the the way I like to summarize it is, it was a transracial movement of working class people for economic democracy. So it was one of the first movements that tried to bring together uh, black and white working class people, mainly farmers, but also industrial workers. They tried, they didn't exactly succeed, but that was, that was the objective. And, uh, uh, populism has, uh, you know, it got, it got stamped out after it first rose to fame in the 1890s. The, um, the two parties sort of, uh, stamped it out and, but it kept coming back and you see, uh, strong elements of populism in the 1930s. The thirties are in some ways our most populist period. Uh, the 30s and 40s, the World War II era, you see a lot of populism. You see populism again in the 60s, especially in the civil rights movement in the early days of the new left. And uh, then ever since then, what you've seen, I'm sorry, and I'm getting off the track because you've just raised the, uh, in my opinion, the most interesting subject in politics. Why don't we ever get, you know, this this thing that everybody wants? You know, we all want 
Uh, we want the middle class society. We want good health care. We want to be able to afford, you know, the things that go to make up, uh, you know, uh, uh, good quality of life. And uh, we, do, we, we can't have those things. Why not? So what, what happens, what makes the story so fascinating is that as real populism, this tradition that I'm talking about, as that disappears from American life, you have this, all of these different sort of fake versions of it cropping up. And this begins basically in the late 1960s with the culture wars and right down to our own time. You know, Richard Nixon was kind of a master of this. Pat Buchanan, who worked for Richard Nixon, was a, a master of this. And uh, I myself first decided to write about this uh, 20 years ago now with What's the Matter with Kansas? You know, I'm absolutely fascinated by we have a political world that is you know, overflowing with populist sentiment, with anger at elites. And yet we never get anywhere. <laughs> you know, the elites get more powerful every year, you know, and the, the income distribution gets, gets more and more unequal and the wealth distribution gets, you know, it's astronomical now where it's like we, people used to compare it to the 1920s. When I was younger, they'd say like, oh, you know, we're reliving the F. Scott Fitzgerald era. There you go. Then, There's the chart. Yeah. And then they would say, then they would say, oh, we're reliving uh, the 1890s. We're reliving the Gilded Age. And it's like, none of that does it justice. We're reliving the Roman Empire, basically. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of wealth distribution that we have now. You know, billionaires shooting themselves into space, this kind of yep. bullshit, you know. And uh, in that climate, you have movement after movement after movement that, that promises to, you know, to get even with the elite. You know, is going to lead you in a in a charge against the elite, and they and 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 somehow, and they, these movements sometimes even succeed. You know, uh, uh, Ronald Reagan did that. Uh, George Bush did that. George Bush Jr. did that. Bill Clinton did that. They all do it. Uh, they're all, you know, they all hate elites. They hate these sort of entrenched, you know, powerful people. Donald Trump was kind of the master of this. All of the, you know, and it succeeds again and again and again. It, it takes us nowhere. And that's because, I mean, this is this is what is absolutely fascinating to me about American politics. We all want that thing. We all want that economic democracy. We all want to get, you know, uh, get even with the with with the elites and movement after movement, you know, crops up that promises to do it by the way. Black Lives Matter. We had another movement that was that looked like it was going that direction. And time after time after time, it gets derailed or it turns out the whole thing was a was a fraud. It was a fake. It was, you know, ginned up by some smart guys in D.C., <laughs> you know, Carl Rove and the gang, you know, or whatever the hell it is. Uh, Lee Atwater. Remember this guy? He yeah. talked about populism all the time. Uh, Kevin Phillips who advised Nixon, talked about it all the time, George Gilder, uh, all these guys, uh, Richard Vigory, who was one of the masterminds of the Reagan revolution, talked about populism all the time. All of these populists, and we never get the real deal. Instead, the situation just gets worse and worse and worse. And it's usually the elites kind of pretending that they're the outsiders. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Trump, oh, Trump. Oh, my God. I wrote a whole book about this in... 1999. <laughs> it was called uh, One Market Under God. Let's see if I've even got a copy of it here. Uh, I don't see it. I don't see it right now. But it was about the way that they, uh, you know, the, this was the great bull market of the 1990s, the dot com bubble. And what made it fascinating to me is that was all the promises of economic democracy that that went along with it. I mean, it was in every TV commercial, every Wall Street Journal editorial was, you know, this bull market is a bull market of the common man. This bull market is evening up the playing field between the rich and the poor. This bull market is bringing Wall Street to its knees. It's all bullshit. It's all lies. It's all of this phony populist promise. Uh, th this is what our culture deals in uh, just automatically as a matter of course. You don't even need to think about it. Everything is a, is a movement for democracy. Uh, every, you know, every um, innovation, every tech innovation, every educational innovation, everything is bringing you greater democracy. And then you look you look at the numbers and and, and the opposite happened. Oh, yeah. shit. What, oh, what went wrong? 
again I, and I, again and again. I'm sorry. It's the story I, of my lifetime. I, 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 I'm curious what you think. I'm you know, so when, sorry. You opened up a real can of worms with that one. Oh, that's, I, it. that's perfect. <laughs> I uh, apologize. The more, the more you talk compared to me, the better. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious what you think about how this has worsened as the media and uh, kind of uh, politics as a blood sport and partisan media has uh, just kind of gotten more and more powerful compared to the 70s. I mean, look now, because I remember yeah. 2016 in particular, I remember crystal clear. I was in Washington Square Park in New York City. Inside the park uh, was 28,000 people for Bernie Sanders during that primary overflow crowd. They said 40,000. And CNN, MSNBC probably too, was covering Trump's empty podium instead of, I mean, this amazing yes. crowd yes. for Bernie Sanders. Um, and well, I mean, add so many other instances, uh, 2020, you could get drunk off of how many times the cable news fed you. Biden's the electable candidate. Biden's the electable yeah, candidate. Yeah, I know. And I, know. and I feel like there's a conditioning because in the exit polls, at least every state in the Democratic primary, uh, the majority of people said they were for Medicare for all, including yeah. like Mississippi. Yeah. Yet. Well, of course. Wait a minute. Of course. Them most of all. And, right. and West, you know, West Virginia, too. And, you know, in Kansas, also everybody, everybody wants that. So how much how much of this in terms of people basically voting against their own interests has to do with kind of what they are being fed? And I hate to say it, but baby boomers are the, the core demographic of a lot of these channels uh, and, you know, the New York Times reader, et cetera. Younger the split between the older voters and the younger voters uh, across racial lines, too. I mean, yeah. Bernie and progressive candidates did better uh, in terms of black voters under you know, 3530. How much of this is a, a media uh, aspect? It's look, it's a huge, a huge problem. Um, and I don't want to say that I have the answer to that problem, but I know what the answer is. At least I have I have an idea. Look, either either there's nothing we can do and we're we're screwed or there is an answer. And if there's an answer, it's the following. What wins in American history is social movements. Uh, that's how you win. That's how you get things done. Populism was a social movement. Abolitionism was a social movement. Um, hell, prohibition was a social movement. You know, there's good ones and there's bad ones. But the the history of the left in America has been a history of social movements. Look, the um, it sounds like you know we're we're talking about uh, progressive politics, which means we're talking about the Democratic Party. And in my lifetime, there's been an enormous change. In the Democratic Party, the party was basically captured by a tiny little faction um, in the 80s and 90s, and that faction has never released their grip on the party. Now, I say tiny little faction, but it's a faction that um, has a kind of uh, mind meld with the media class in this country, with the with the well, with the professional, you know, professional white collar class. That's who captured the Democratic Party. Uh, in the 80s and 90s, and they've never looked back. And they regard their, this is just my interpretation, and I can't, uh, you know, there's no memo, you know, no leaked memo to prove this. But uh, judging from their behavior, they regard it as their highest duty is not defeating the Republicans. It is um, that war within the Democratic Party. It is defeating, making sure that the the people that they defeated back in the day stay defeated. And that means Bernie Sanders. And that means before him, Jesse Jackson. And you go right down the list. Um, that's that's their primary duty in the world. Defeating Republicans is secondary, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, Bernie, Bernie Sanders said they'd rather go down, you know, on the yeah, Titanic. I mean, there's evidence class. for this. Like, um, what's his name? Uh, Tony Blair, uh, who is, uh, you know, who imported Clintonism to the UK. Uh, said, I, and I've I've quoted this before, he said it in print. I mean, it's real. He said, um, even if I knew that the old, you know, uh, old school traditional left was the way to go to beat the right, I wouldn't do it. I would rather lose. Hmm. Why do you think that is? Not, to, not that you're a psychologist, but you look at somebody like Pelosi, when she got in in the, in the 90s, I mean, she was up there talking about universal health care. Is it the money uh, that they're indirectly? That's huge, yeah, that's a getting. huge part of it, of course. Yes, but it's also it's also it's ideas. It's uh, 
the consensus. Look, before you before you before you called, I was going through Obama's State of the Union speech. It's for a different project, totally totally different, unrelated project. It's not even a political thing. Oh, I, I thought just, you I thought you just do that for fun, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. No, I was reading through his State of the Union speeches, and in every single one, he he mentions um, the word, the concept, the great glowing social ideal of innovation. He talks and talks and talks about innovation. And this is uh, he's you know, he's saying that and so is everybody else. So are all the management writers of the of the of the day. So are, you know, all the popular books of the day. So are all the newspapers. So is everybody. I'm, I was going to start waving books at you, but I don't see the one I'm looking for. It, it, it was in the air. The, the party, you know, it's not. A conspiracy, and these people are not great thinkers. Barack Obama was a great leader, but he was—he's not—he's not a good thinker. He's—I mean, he's a good thinker. He's not a—he's not a brilliant like you know, philosopher or something right. like that. He—he he is uh, responsive to the to the to, to the world that that he came up in and the kind of people that were around him, and you know, and what makes sense to him. The same with the Clintons. Um, I'm sorry that that sort of sounds like I'm letting them off the hook and I don't I don't mean to let them off the hook. But in fact I've I forgot what you asked me. <laughs> I was just asking from a psychological point of view you look yeah, at what do they do? You it? look at you look How at I, Pelosi, even Hillary Clinton to a lesser degree when she was first yeah. lady, I mean she actually was for some tr progressive humanistic things then she gets in the as health, a senator right, and health, her health care plan which was was not a great not a great plan but it was a lot better than than what we ultimately got right you now yes uh and then, i mean you know, obama the, who started as a community organizer doing good things uh in chicago it's just did uh, i ever tell you i i no i've no. I, I I met him when he was in Chicago years ago. I, I was a graduate student at the University of Chicago, and uh, and I lived there after I finished. You know, I got my PhD and I stayed there. and And he was a professor there, and he became a um, state senator. And I met him, happened to meet him at a house party, and uh, he this I what year would this have been? Like oh two oh three? I was working on what's the matter with Kansas. And uh, he, when he walked in the room, every, there was this hush fell over the room. Everybody's, oh, he's here. Even then, he had this incredible charisma, just incredible. Um, and that electric smile, you remember. And I saw him perform a couple times. By perform, I mean uh, give impromptu speeches. And the man was brilliant. There's like, there is nobody in that generation that could touch him. He was so good. Um, he was uh, just, you know, a brilliant politician. Uh, anyhow, that was a long time ago. But I, but, 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 what you're saying is exactly right. And these people, these people change. And uh, I don't have a great answer for it. I, you know, I don't have a great model for explaining it. I'd say that um, the money is a huge part of it, but it's also what they believe. You know, it's also what these people believe in. Um, and. You know, what can I say? The system, I, I, I wrestle, I've wrestled with this all my life. The system sorts people so that some people are automatically taken seriously, even if they're, I'm not talking about Obama here, but I'm talking about, see, I live in Washington and there is a certain kind of person that is automatically taken seriously, um, you know, gets foundation grants, gets appointed to um, boards. Um, does some, you know, will will serve in administrations, and then you go and meet them, and there's there's nothing like they've got nothing on the ball, right? There's right. nothing there's nothing special about them. Their ideas are are incredibly banal. Who who was I reading? Just Anne Marie Slaughter. This is you know wrote this article for Foreign Affairs back in '08. That's basically it's the manifesto for the Obama administration. And and there's it's she's one of these people that goes from you know uh, position of power to position of power, and and there's nothing to it. Right. It's it's just it's flimsy. It's there. It's like it's paper thin. That's why I mentioned the media. Like just use Pete Buttigieg as an example. There's another uh, one. That's another in, guy. In but 20, he's he's got in, something on the ball in the way he talks. Right. But in 2019, I mean, I the media was hyping him up as you know the next thing is the next Jesus of Nazareth, and I went to South Bend. <laughs> 
Yeah, he beautified, you know, five blocks downtown, like all of them. He gentrified yeah. the city and yeah. left the rest of it to rot. And it was yeah. such an obvious story. Uh, he was a McKinsey guy, balance yeah. sheets. There's nothing other than, you know, his uh, articul articulate presentation, uh, obviously him being uh, gay. Um, there was not much there. I mean, look at the transportation disaster in America, but the media kind of manufactured it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a huge part of the problem, not just on the left, but on the right, too. I mean, look at Ron DeSantis right now. Uh, the media selling him as a more uh, a more palatable Trump. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the, that's our future is going to be more and more palatable Trumps. Right. I'm quite serious about that. But to get back to your question, I I go back to the very old school and maybe crude explanatory device of social class that that uh, the Democratic Party is increasingly just in my lifetime has become the party of a so of a, of a very particular social stratum that sees the world and that they, I mean, they all agree with each other. They see not universally. I mean, I'm part of this class. This is the highly educated white collar sort of managerial elite. Uh, they, they see the world the same way. They agree with it. They read the same books. They read the same magazines. They watch the same TV shows. Everything fits into, uh, into, into the pattern, it, you know, and the, and they, they have, this is, a, this is a group that obviously has an enormous amount of, power uh, uh you know of 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 of, of uh, uh you know my, uh, what do you what do you call it they have they have a lot of money to throw around um come on what's the word i'm looking for uh income you know disposable income yeah <laughs> these are the people that that, that make you know, that make certain brand i'm looking at the brands on the flag the, uh, the innovation makes, the innovation class you, the innovation you class yeah. or the uh, also known as the learning class you know <laughs> right. in richard florida's estimation and uh you know there's all these different ways of talking about them and the democratic party has has more or less deliberately and more or less consciously made itself into the party of this class. When I say that, this is like, I mean, they, they wrote about it. This is not just something that happened. This is something that they, that, that Democrats thought about and debated among themselves and did deliberately did beginning in the late sixties and up to our, up to our own time. I mean, the, this is originally was sort of a, a movement on the left fringe of the party, you know, the McGovern sort of McGovern people who had come out of the new left. And right. their whole idea was that the, uh, the you know, the, up until then, the Democratic Party had been a party of unions. Democratic Party was very, very, I'm older than you, so I can assure you this is actually true that once upon a time, the Democratic Party was very closely associated with organized labor in America. It's hard to believe, but it is true. And they were like, this has to end. Uh, the unions can't be trusted. This is because all over the Vietnam War, the unions had supported Lyndon Johnson, the leadership, not the rank and file, had supported um, Lyndon Johnson on the Vietnam War. And they were like, this is intolerable. Um, they, these people are thugs. These people are fascists. We have to we basically we have to move the Democratic Party away from them. And the group we have to move in favor of is uh, young people who are coming out of college who are highly educated and who understand. And this was all sort of new left um, doctrinal bullshit. And then later that became uh, the, the sort of pivotal figure here is Bill Clinton, who worked for McGovern and then becomes the leader of a faction called, and Gary Hart, same kind of right. thing, worked for McGovern and became the leader of this anti-New Deal faction in the Democratic Party. And they eventually wound up with McGar with a heart. They called themselves like the Atari Democrats or some such bullshit. Right. And then with Clinton, they called themselves the Democratic Leadership Council. And there was Coke. There was a Coke connection to it as well. Yeah. Coke brothers supported it. Well, I mean, yeah. they, they supported a lot of things, uh, but they gave, you know, they gave some money to them long ago. I mean, I'm not saying that this was that yeah. that was. Uh, but a lot of corporate groups funded the Democratic Leadership Council. They were they were the corporate somebody said, I forget who, they were the corporate beachhead within the Democratic Party. And this is the faction that 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 basically conquered the party, uh, took over. And if you go back and read their magazine, by the way, which is difficult to find, uh, but you can you can find it if you dig. Um, if you go back and read their in-house magazine, they were constantly denouncing the New Deal. The Democrats have to end their association with the New Deal, constantly denouncing um, the working class 
not constantly. They changed on this one. They, uh, but but by the by the by the 1990s, they were like, we have to become the party of the innovation class, and we have to put, um, you know, this all these workerist ideals. We have to put them behind us. And uh, uh, th they did this deliberately. And you think about the, the, the Clinton years, which were so pivotal for this. And they're, uh, you know, uh, Bill Clinton's very close friend and advisor, um, Robert Reich, who wrote this book. Uh, by the way, a man who has really come around to the good side uh, in, right. in recent years. But, but back then wrote a, a book about, um, what did he call them? He had a name for this class also. Um, Oh shit! Uh, 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 symbolic analysts—that's <laughs> what, what they were. This is in the '80s, right? It, all through the '80s and '90s, dem different Democratic thinkers kept coming up with different names for this this group that they wanted to identify the party with. And they look—they succeeded. They got what they wanted, and the Democratic Party is is the party of. I mean, they, they succeeded. What can I say? The Democratic Party is, by and large, the party of a an elite. I don't want to say the elite because, as we all know, there's still lots of billionaires who support the Republicans. But uh, can I tell you one more anecdote? Sure. I mean, and we're 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 off and running here, and I could talk for the next hour uh, without it. But uh, so I grew up in a neighborhood of Kansas City, a suburb of Kansas City that was in Kansas, and I describe it at some length in What's the Matter with Kansas? But when I, it's um, Mission Hills, Kansas suburb in Johnson County, Kansas. And it was, is to this day, the by far the richest, you know, little part of the state of Kansas and of the city. And my family wasn't particularly wealthy, but the kids who lived around us were. And, uh, you know, I grew up with them. They were my, you know, my playmates. And I went to school with them. And their parents owned the place. They owned Kansas. And they owned Kansas City. And they were the ruling elite. And when I was a kid, I thought these are the most Republican people in the world. That's that they were Republican just went without saying this is Kansas this is Bob Dole country. You know, uh, of course, they were Republicans, overwhelmingly so. And uh, I uh, when I wrote What's the Matter with Kansas, I remember doing this research like Republicans held every state level office in Johnson County, except for one something. like I mean, it was it was outrageous. Right. It was so lopsided. And uh, Johnson County had gone for every Republican who ran for who ran for president since 1916. That was the last time they voted for a Democrat. And they were at the time they were rural. It was a farm <laughs> community in 1916. But they'd gone for the Republican in every single election since then. Well, you know what just you know what happened, Jordan? They changed sides. Hmm. Beginning with, uh, you know, well, it's a it's a slow motion process, but this county that I described at such length, right, the most Republican place in America, uh, is now uh, they went for they went for Biden in 2020, and I was there for the election that year, and um, I went on the website of the Kansas Secretary of State a couple days after and looked it up, and and uh, Biden won every single precinct in Mission Hills in my neighborhood. Where I grew up, so the the elite, the owners, the ruling class, hell yes, that's they they have in that little if that that little microcosm tells you anything, they've they've switched sides, hmm. and then this raises the whole question, which I know you're going to ask me ne about next. What what happens when the party of the left in the system, which is what the Democrats are, whether we like it or not, the party of the left in the system speaks for the elite. What the hell? I mean, that's a, that is an inversion of like all hit all our political history since the French Revolution. What happens when you do that? Right. You embolden the right, and you breed fascism. Among other things, yeah. You yeah, and you and, and it's it's. It, I mean, there's a, there's a million consequences to it. One th you know, one consequence is that we don't do anything about inequality. It gets worse and worse and worse. It's not not even a priority anymore. I mean, Biden might say it is now and then, but uh, you remember Obama started out when he became president talking a lot about that. I mean, one of the reasons people voted for him was because of the financial crisis, <laughs> Wall Street, you know, and uh, all those guys got their bonuses. Nothing was ever really done. You know, they got a slap on the wrist. By the end of his presidency, it was just not even 
on the table anymore. Right. It was forgotten. And here comes Trump and he's talking about the same goddamn thing. You know, it's just, it is this fester, repeat. Yeah. festering sore that we, uh, that we are not going to do anything about that. This country, that the middle class of this country is coming apart. I mean, the, yep. the, the fabric of our civilization is coming apart and we can't seem to do anything about it. And one of the reasons for that is because the party of the left in this country is a party that answers primarily to a highly educated elite that, that, that looks at the world through a meritocratic lens. They say, well, those people on top, they've got what they've got because they fucking well deserve to have it. Right. They, they went to good schools. They studied hard. They got an A. You got it. You got a C. Don't tell me you think you you have some. You're entitled to right. you know a middle class way of life. That's one problem. You know, I'm I'm curious because I uh, have traveled a lot and covered a lot of uh, elections on the ground, and it seems that uh, the Democratic uh, establishment, you know, in the '80s, made the calculus that we're going to lose these. Reagan Democrats. Uh, we need to cater more towards the innovation class, professional managerial class, highly educated. But I've seen evidence in the last five or six years that those uh, mostly white working class, uh, a mix of um, uh, other um, uh, workers as well, that they are attainable if you actually oh, have a message for them. Yeah, I mean, look, no shit. Fetterman, <laughs> Fetterman, for example, yeah. Fetterman, for example, obviously dealing with yeah. health problems, he went to every county. He targeted more so than previous Democratic candidates, red counties. He didn't win them, but he did a, uh, a lot better yeah. in those red counties than even Biden did in 2020. And he won by, I think, three or four points. Yeah. And the polls showed. I mean, he did better among independents than uh, Democrats have traditionally, Republicans. And it wasn't just because he looked like an average Joe. He was one of the only Democratic candidates for Congress or Senate that was talking about corporate price gouging as yes. a reason for inflation. So, George, doing you've, you've, these are these are hugely important points. And I just want to say, remember also that Fetterman did this without benefit of a massive social movement, which is how, you know, he's just a single candidate just showing up. Right. You know, that's like it's amazing that he did as well as he did. Uh, it's extraordinary. And, yeah, it shows you that these people. Well, look, part of the 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 the, the uh, Democratic Leadership Council, this whole turn to the right that we're describing, part of their rationale was that these people were uh, lost to us and there's nothing we can do. Usually they the they they the, the there's some um, uh, uh, some uh, accusation of of racism that goes in here where they say, well, these people are lost to us because they're so they're basically um, racists and we can never win them back. You know, all of which is it, it, the idea of attributing racism to um, working class people is one of the more noxious stereotypes out there. But nevertheless, that's that's how the argument goes. And a lot of people find that extremely convincing. But uh, but of course, of course, working class people can be won by the party of the left. It's like it, it, actually I shouldn't I shouldn't chuckle at that, because when I, I, I talk to young voters, they don't know that yeah. they don't understand that that is the tradition. That's what the left is or that's what the left was for centuries it was a working class movement that's what it was about it was about work and you know and they they're not aware of that right they think it's about being more virtuous than than other people it's about it's about being a better human or something like right. that you know about being smarter uh and uh yeah the it, it, people are often unaware of this but it's uh, look there's a, a huge problem when you write off when you're a party of the left and you write off the white working class or just the, or the working class in general. And uh, that is the, the, the problem is that they um, that's the rank and file of humanity. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're talking about like, you know, um, the sort of overwhelming like that's America. Right. And uh, right. when you when you say, uh, well, we've lost them and there's nothing we can do. You're that's a that's that's one hell of a stupid political move. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that we're going to pay for that for a very long time. And uh, this, you know, this leads me to the next point, which is when the Democratic Party, you know, was in sort of its golden age, uh, the New Deal period, the uh, you know, Rooseveltian Democratic Party. And I would say golden age from 1932 up to about 1970, maybe a little later than that. 
uh, they were the majority party of this country. They were uh, they held the House of Representatives continuously from 1931 to 1995 with only two uh, brief interruptions in the Eisenhower years. Um, th that's I mean, and this is this is all just in the last, you know, since 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 94 that Republicans have been even, you know, been able to contest the House of Representatives. And that's that's what happens when you decide, no, we've got a new model for being for a party of the left. You know, it's not going to be about about working class people, except incidentally, you know, we'll capture some of them with these other um, with these other issues. Right. We'll, we'll get some of them in these other ways. But uh, but they're not that's not the core of our of our appeal anymore. It's this other thing. Right. We're going to be the party of the highly educated and. We're going to be the you know party of diversity and the party of innovation or whatever whatever it is. Um, when you give up on that, this is what happens. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the best you can hope for is this stalemate, which is what we've got. You know, where the the House of Representatives changes hands back and forth, the Senate changes hands back and forth, the presidency. The Republicans were always. Um, well, I, I, I don't. History is 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 a messy business, so I don't want to say they were always competitive on the presidency because the only president they had, the only presidents they had between Hoover and Reagan, were uh, were, were were fairly liberal. Uh, I'm right. speaking of Eisenhower and Nixon here. Nixon created the EPA, <laughs> among other things. Yeah. yeah, Nixon talked about. I was just reading about this the other day. Nixon talked about doing a universal basic income. Uh, it got it got lost in his fight with he had a fight with Congress and it never happened. But they right. he was like in favor of that. Right. <laughs> like oh, what? Yeah, Nixon. Uh, uh, Nixon was an interesting guy um, in a lot of in a lot of different ways. Also profoundly evil. And by the yeah. way, tr in some ways, Trump's Trump's great mentor this is where Trump learned so many of his tricks. Oh was, yeah. Um, Oh, Roger Roger Stone was Nixon's like original yeah. uh, descendant. He's got the tattoo on his shoulder. And yeah. uh, and there's this there's this story that I read early on when Trump was coming up in '16 about how Trump met Nixon, and he had been at a at a house party in I believe it was Dallas, or some kind of billionaire get together in Dallas, and Nixon was there. This would have been in the 80s or 90s and nixon was there and and trump and nixon were the only two people present who didn't drink and so as a result they they stayed up all night talking and so trump like absorbed all of these lessons at the feet of the master you know and and, and look it's not a surprise that trump uh i mean trump who turned out to be this you know dreadful president and really a scary uh foolish you know, dreadful uh, kind of leader uh, actually outflanked Hillary to the left on a number of, of or if, if, rhetorically here, I'm talking about oh, yeah. during, the, during the 2016 campaign, rhetorically outflanked Hillary to the left. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's the Nixon move. You know, I was saying when people, I was on the campaign trail and every, you know, the media and the Democrats talking about Russia, I'm like, it's NAFTA. He yeah. has them at NAFTA as <laughs> yeah. soon as he mentioned well, NAFTA. Na NAFTA and the endless wars. Right. That was, I mean, that was, that was brilliant. Just politically speaking, you, Hillary's out there, you know, embracing the national security community and she thinks she's so responsible and she's playing a triangulation move doing this. She's triangulating with the, you know, hawkish Republicans. Right. And we know that that succeeded with a certain, but that's a tiny number of people. And Trump meanwhile is triangulating the other direction and, and, and denouncing endless war. And that's also reaching out to a group of people who feel left out. Now, the, I don't know how how if if that succeeded or not, but he did but, he did try it, which was uh, interesting. It, it wasn't really talked about much in the post mortem, but uh, say what you want about Trump. In August of 2016, uh, Hillary Clinton spent more time in the Hamptons and San Francisco <laughs> fundraising. Uh, Ber Bernie was on the road more. Bernie was on the road more for Hillary Clinton than Hillary Clinton was on the road. And Trump was barnstorming the country. Of he course was doing he was, right? Yeah, he loves that. He loves yeah. it. That's one thing you got to say, but you got to hand it to the man. He is a born politician, man, or a, a born public speaker. He loves it. Uh, yeah. he's, uh, he was like, as, as president, he was absolutely and utterly incompetent. And there's, you know, no excuse for, you know, the, what he did as president. But 
it is funny after all that stuff that he said that, you know, what did he get done as president? You know, you, you look back, he's like, well, big tax cut, right? The Paul yeah. Ryan tax cut. This is always what they do, right? They talk populism and then they give you a big tax. They give the rich a big tax cut. And he deregulated. Yep. He was the, the champion deregulator. Uh, and so basically the Reagan agenda back in full force, you know, after, <laughs> after campaigns is just, uh, it was, oh it was basically Bush without starting a, yeah, without know, a war, a yeah, Bush, yeah. Bush minus the wars. Yeah. But but the me, Bush family will never forgive him for, uh, for wrecking the career. Yeah. Jeb. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jeb. Let me ask you, cause so much of what you write about, so much of what you write about is how the democratic parties kind of, uh, De de deterioration into uh, what we're talking about corresponded with the destruction of organized labor. Yeah. And one of the positive things I think right now, obviously it's nowhere near what it used to be, but th there's, there's a pulse, you know, there's, there's a little, Oh light, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's, you exci look at it's exciting. It's exciting. Yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the Amazon warehouse workers, that was, that was a huge deal for me now. Statistically, and they just, by the way, they just, by the way, officially, after Amazon tried to overturn it for a year, officially were certified. So now they're certified. And do yeah. they have a, I wonder if they have a contract. Well, Amazon's going to drag their feet, but uh, yeah. at least now Amazon, according to the law, if they have to follow it, yeah. uh, have to go to the negotiating table. Yes. Yeah. And look, these are, these are good signs. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, you can poo poo it and say, uh, statistically, it's still very small and organized labor is, you know, still, on the uh, overall on the decline and that's that's certainly they have nowhere near the kind of of power that they had in the 50s and 60s 70s true but this is maybe this is the beginning of something i mean these things start have to start somewhere you know why not yeah. and uh, and yeah and it's a lot of uh, it's often white collar workers you know you look at the um, the uh, uh, adjuncts and the teaching assistants who are going on strike all over the place. by the way and i'm totally i'm i'm so excited about this i used to be an adjunct <laughs> i'm very happy to see it yeah. very very happy to see it and the nurses uh, too the new york yep, the new york yep. city nurses all just won yeah. no it's I, uh, it's it's wonderful to see it and they're winning their strikes when i first started covering this stuff in the 90s uh, I, I, I began by covering a strike in Decatur, Illinois. It was actually three strikes at once, two strikes and a lockout in Decatur, Illinois. And they, um, the whole town was basically polarized. Everybody was on one side or the other. Um, and, you know, it was the class war come home to the heartland. And right. uh, they wound up, the guys that I was following wound up losing. Uh, and, uh, you know, and the, there was a Democratic president. He didn't lift a finger to help them. Um, and, uh, it was, you know, it was, it was, it felt like every labor story in those days went in that direction. That's, that's just what happened. Uh, and uh, yeah, they, um, it, it just, it, it, it was just one loss after another in those days. I'm so happy to see uh, at least some, you know, glimmer. Of, and of and do you think this can build because, you know, people want a general strike tomorrow. I'd love that. I, I don't, it's not going to happen overnight, but I also see a division I mean, I, I just want to, you know, punch somebody when I see the AFL-CIO like hosting Joe Biden as if and saying, oh, he's the, yeah. best, he's the greatest uh, union president in our history. It's like this guy sold out unions left and right oh, NAFTA I know. I and know. every other thing. Yep. But so, he's also he's also but he has been, uh, uh, you know, if you ask them about it. I actually wrote a story about this uh, when during the primaries. Uh, God, I've, I'm sorry, I, I've forgotten the story. I should I should go back and look it up because if you look at the AFL-CIO scorecard, Bernie Sanders was like um, had like a hundred percent rating. Biden was like a seventy percent, hmm. uh, and uh, uh, and yet so many. Remember, uh, Biden had the enthusiastic support of certain uh, unions from the very the unions. From, the unions from were the very door knocking. They were yeah. door knocking and canvassing for Biden, not Bernie. No, not not all of them, but but some of some of them yeah. really really liked him from from day one. And I was uh, uh, I was puzzled by that, and so I called some of these guys up and I was asking them like, why? I mean, you've got the the A student here, and then you've got the guy <laughs> getting the C. Why'd you choose that guy? You know, and they and they basically I'm I'm trying to remember what they said, but like that he's done that he that he comes through for them in all sorts of ways that you wouldn't. That, that are not highly visible and not spectacular. Um, and I think a lot of it was just uh, his um, attitude, 
So Biden is very comfortable in a union hall. He likes touring factories. He likes standing at the factory gate. He likes doing all that. He's old enough so that he can remember that stuff. Uh, whereas the, 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 like a Pete Buttigieg would never do those things. You so know, the union bosses, you know, succumb to the theater and, uh, the well, persona. In, in part, yeah. in part. Yeah. And, and look what he did to the, uh, uh, the, the railroad workers was that's just, that's an inexcusable in my opinion, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, it, it, look what's happening. It's great. And maybe, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe Biden is, is in some way, uh, deserve some uh, uh, credit for it. I don't know. Uh, well, also, it's a little a lot of these successful movements, uh, Starbucks workers, Amazon workers didn't go through a traditional union. It was a worker led movement and they did not take their that's true st strategic um, directives from, you know, AFL-CIO or the Teamsters or, you know, yeah. they they created their own unions. Yep. Which is which is great. I mean, I yep. love that. That's uh, <laughs> it's wonderful. Yep. Very happy to see that. Yeah. Um, where were we going with this? Uh, were we going to talk about things that Biden has done right? I mean, because there are a few, but I don't. You know, no, that's I fine. I, 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 I think, no, I don't really care. I mean, it's like he's, to been, me, you know, he's been good on antitrust, which is yeah. another issue that's close to my heart. Um, and he's he's so far he's been he's been pretty good on it, which is to like I, I another thing I was just reading. Sorry. No, go ahead. I think I was just reading. By the way, Trump talked about antitrust all the time. He did not a goddamn thing while he was president. And, right. he, and to this day, he talks about like, oh, big tech. Oh, my God, they're so powerful. It's like, why didn't you do anything? You well, I think Biden, it didn't get a lot of attention, but it's a good thing. They passed, um, you know, getting rid of the non-competes. I yep, think was a, that was a big deal. That was great. Yeah. I, and I was just going back to uh, the, the, you know, I was reading up. I've been reading up on the Obama years. And they cut Google the biggest favor. Uh, the FTC was, you know, declined to, uh, to 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 file an antitrust suit against Google, the greatest monopolist of this or any other period, and uh, 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 it was a huge, huge, monumental favor for uh, for Google and for Silicon Valley by extension. Right. Um, and that's that's Obama. That's a Democrat. Yeah. And let me also ask you, we, we talked about what happens to uh, kind of the corporate Democrats. Uh, what do you what do you think's going on with uh, the squad to a lesser degree, Bernie? Because, I mean, AOC ran on. Let's, you know, get me in there. We're going to bring the ruckus to the Democratic Party. Yeah. Uh, Bernie basically said, you know, hold your nose, vote for Biden and, and we'll fight to move him left on day one. But Bernie has taken more of the kind of inside baseball diplomatic uh, you know, approach, which most on the left are very angry about. And a lot of the left, particularly those online, have kind of uh, just said to hell with the squad. You know, they, they should have been doing what the Republicans, these kind of Freedom Caucus people just did. I yeah. look at I look at, for example, in beginning of 2021, when Biden was first in there and he came up with this, you know, cockamamie, uh, we can't we can't do the $15 minimum wage because the parliamentarian ruled oh, against yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. You'd reminded me of that. Oh, did that ever that burned me up? I mean, that's I a was, perfect opportunity yeah. for progressives <laughs> to agitate. To I, would agitate. Look, I, would, I would love to see what you're describing. And uh, uh, it is. Uh, it is. I don't want to say it's strange how they fall in line, because it's very much in keeping with everything else that we're talking about, right. um, the power of money. The, the power of the uh, the media, which is, as you know, has become so incredibly partisan, um, uh, you know, and and this whole logic that has sort of conquered the minds of of uh, of our uh, well, I don't know what you want to call them, intellectual class, anybody that, that that contributes to the conversation, which is like intensely polarized, that the Republicans are so profoundly evil that in the face of that, we, we can't tolerate even the slightest dissent from the party line, um, which, it, it, again, is a, a ridiculous idea. Um, but is uh, very helpful if you if you are running that enterprise known as the Democratic Party, <laughs> right? But look, the 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 broader question is, um, how do you build a movement? This look, what what I just said is is I I do history. I don't do you know last week's events. Um, and if you look at this party in the terms of the broad sweep of history, I think yeah, there's we face. A lot of really scary threats in this country, uh, 
the 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 menace of big tech is one of them. I mean, this is this is like uh, I used to think Wall Street was pretty bad in the last decade. This is so much more dangerous. Right. And uh, uh, there's there's no plan that I can see to do anything about these guys. Um, there's the Republican Party is uh, look, they are dangerous. Uh, oh, unless yeah. until uh, I've had so many people try to try to, to convince me of the opposite, that the Republicans mean well, and that they're coming around to to my way of uh, uh, to, to my way of looking at things. It's just it's, it's not happening. No, I mean, it, I would love it if they did. I would love it if 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 Josh Hawley, you know, says he wants to go take on big tech and he wants to build a workers party. That would that wouldn't that be awesome? Right. <laughs> I would love to see that. It's well, not that's why it's I not look happening. At, that's why I look at their donors rather than what they say. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Uh, so th- and and I think that they are dangerous. I think that they they I mean as we know from studying the Republican party, they pick up from where they left off last time. And so, you know, uh, where they left off last time is basically January 6th. Uh, we'll see where they, and I thought that was, you know, uh, that was just a bunch of louts running wild in the Capitol building, but next time they won't, it won't be like that. It'll be something more serious. And, um, uh, so I think they are, uh, dangerous and you've got a democratic party that can't, stop them and they can't right. and they can't do anything about the great i mean the 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 huge threats facing our society whether you're talking about global warming or whether you're talking about the the uh destruction of the middle class or whether you're talking about big tech you go down the list and 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 enumerate them all the democratic party can't do anything about any of them right except for they're they're very good at like this kind of um telling you to get in line and and uh, and delivering these kind of um uh, you know, this sort of yard sign mentality. You can feel good about yourself. They're very good right. at that. And that, sending sending you 25 emails a week that democracy is at stake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you yeah. don't send give them us, $10. Give us, give us money now. Yeah, yeah, right. right. I, I, it's funny. I get those all the time. And, uh, and uh, I get them from Republicans too. And it's almost always the same message. Right? Yeah, and I think, I think the policy gets lost because what you're describing, I mean, look at it. Texas is trying to put parents in jail if they yeah. have transgender kids. I mean, Ron DeSantis has a different culture war every week. Banning books. Yeah, the culture know, the- wars. Let's we'll we'll come to that in a minute. But here, look, this party is is it's 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 capable of raising money. It's capable of winning these sort of. Uh, 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 it's capable of bringing the Republicans to a stalemate. Uh, you know, if if luck is on their side, right? If like if the Supreme Court hadn't overturned Roe v. Wade, and if Donald Trump hadn't got his his stupid pals, you know, running for the U.S. Senate, right? Doctor Oz, <laughs> some of these other guys, you know, if those things hadn't happened, uh, it would have been the it would have been the red the red wave. So they keep getting, you know, but that's politics. So I don't want to say they keep getting rescued by uh, by happenstance, but that that's 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 politics, but um. This is a party that that is not really capable of doing any of the uh, the big things that need to be done. Right. And uh, I'm sorry. Now I'm well, that kind of brings me uh, <laughs> my that brings me to my final question. I mean, there is a lot of people uh, that were on the Bernie uh, wave twice that to this day will not vote for another Democrat and they want to build a third party. Um, I've seen on the road, um, you know, more people uh, even for local elections refuse to support a candidate, even if they don't have anything against the candidate because they're running as a Democrat. Uh, we know the Green Party exists, and they've had some success on local levels. Yeah, but, but that's you know, I mean, never. Is there we're, we're it, talking, when you're talking about, about the, movements? The, the, yeah, when you're talking about movements, is, is it realistic that that in today's day and age we can it's build the, a third party? It's the only way. Well, you can't build a third party. That's. You, you well, I'll just show you this. It's one poll, but fifty-eight percent of voters open to backing independent candidate. No, right. And they, they all, people Trump. always, people always say that. And it's great. And they, and every now and then someone tries it, like Ross Perot, you know, Ralph mm-hmm. Nader and, uh, and it doesn't succeed. Look, what happened was, I think the, Bernie, ha- I think Bernie, uh, in 2016, if he would have, uh, after he lost ran, uh, against Clinton and Trump as a third party, I don't know if he would have won. I think he would have gotten the most votes of any third party presidential candidate, uh, in history. Well, look, um, the last 
the last real third party we had in this country was with the populist party in the 1890s. Excuse me a second. Hey, Teddy, I'm uh, doing an interview right now. Okay. Last successful third party movement we had in this country was the populist party. But by successful, I mean, they, they didn't just run a presidential candidate. They ran, they had governors, senators, members of Congress, you know, sheriffs, all this right. stuff. And, uh, the, and in some states they won. And in some states they came real close to winning. Um, and, and it was a, it was a, it was a real deal. And for about 10 years in this country, you had a three party system. And what happened after populism died, the two main parties took all of these uh, steps to ensure that it never happened again, that you would never have a challenge like that to their rule. Uh, and in the South, that took the form of Jim Crow. And in the, a lot of other states, it took a, a form, they, they made uh, a lot of the, the techniques that the populists did, they made them illegal. So the populists used to do something called fusion voting, where they would say in Kansas, Kansas was a Republican state, there was just a tiny little Democratic Party there. The populists would uh, join forces with the Democrats and cross endorse each other's candidates. And then they'd come out ahead. They'd come up with like 56 percent or something like that. And in North Carolina, they the opposite was the case. The Democrats were the dominant. And so the uh, populists would join forces with the local Republican Party. And um, this is illegal now. <clears throat> now, there's no good reason for it to be illegal, except for that the two parties don't want to ever face that kind of challenge again. And the, it, the, there's a bunch of other laws like this, and they have effectively, we've never had a proper, uh, a national third party movement. There have been local ones that succeeded in, especially in uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota, the farmer labor party. And it's always the same, by the way, the party that succeeds, it's always a farmer labor. It's basically populism with a different name. And, um, but it's, it's the thing that what we need in this country is a national movement like that, but that is not just about one guy. It's not just about a guy running for president. It's about building a movement from top to bottom. And the last time we've even seen something like that was the civil rights movement in the sixties where it's, it's, it was not about the leaders. It was about organizing at specifically at the local level in the southern states, but also, you know, organizing all the way up to the top. And it was becoming populist when King was assassinated. King was turning his focus to the economic issues, you know, and talking about uh, reaching out and forming a broader alliance of working people, which would have been momentous uh, right. had, had, it, had it actually happened. Um, unfortunately, it didn't. I thought it was I thought there was a chance of that happening again with Black Lives Matter, which was making all kinds of noises in that direction um, a few years ago. But it didn't it didn't happen. That's what we have to have in this country. And uh, the problem is that if you study these movements, so the great like democratic moments in American life, uh, populism organized labor in the 30s, you know, that whole upheaval in the 1930s or what happened, all the stuff that was going on in the 1960s. And you say, how did they do it? How did they build these movements? And people have people have studied this. And one of the, 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 the most interesting conclusions is what they didn't do. They didn't go around talking about um, about how, uh, uh, you know, how virtuous they were. They didn't go around boasting about their ideological purity. They didn't do that. The, the whole idea is to bring in people based on, uh, you know, on self-interest. And, you know, these are, you're talking about, by definition, working class people. And these are often going to be people with traditional, you know, views of things. These are not going to be people that went to college. They don't know the lingo. You know, they don't know that they don't know the jargon. By definition, they don't know the jargon. If you're going to build a movement where you where the, the if you're going to build a political party where the, the, the part of the definition of righteousness as part of the definition of, of idealism is knowing the jargon. Dude, you're you know, you're by definition, you're these people aren't going to be part of your movement. You know, right. your, your movement is going to be limited to a very, very small number of people. It's not, not going to be not, requ not requiring or orthodoxy. Bingo. One last thing I want to say about this. So that's what we have to have. How we get there, I don't, I don't know. Right. Okay. I, 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 look, there's signs of hope. You mentioned, we've mentioned two of them already. One, Black Lives Matter. The other is this, uh, this, this, this spark on the, you know, of, of, of union organizing, which I'd love to see. 
uh, both of these are capable of catching fire overnight. I, anything, you know, it could happen. And in the climate that we're in, it could, it could easily happen. And I would love to see it happen. I'm afraid that the sort of logic of social media uh, militates against it. I mean, we all yeah. have seen Twitter. It's all about you and what a good person you are and how you're better than everybody else. And you're going to strike them all down for using the wrong, whatever, for, you know, right. saying that saying something wrong. That's, that's the logic of our age. It's, a, it's not about addition. It's about subtraction. And one last thing I want to say, you ready for this? I am. We've just come through in the Obama years, a real life experiment in social democracy from the top down. Remember when he was elected and he was going to bring in the smartest guys. I, I, by the way, I was, I was a different person in those days and I, I believed in Obama. I did. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I was excited about this. I, because we'd been coming out of the Bush years, Bush had appointed these incredible dullards to run everything. I mean, deliberately. Do you remember this? Yeah. Yeah, people that didn't have any idea what they were running, uh, people who didn't care about it. You know, you couldn't get them on the like Securities and Exchange Commission. Who knew? Who knew who was in charge of it or where he was? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, oh, shit, financial crisis. What are we going to do? I don't know. And so Obama comes in and I was I was happy. I was like, good, we're going to put people in charge who know what they're doing and we're going to clean this up and we're going to get the system running correctly and we're going to have reform in this country. And we had a real life experiment in this model for reform. I mean, there's basically two models for reform. One is from the top down, from experts uh, by, uh, uh, you know, people with PhDs, uh, you know, highly educated elites. This is the this is the model that our Democratic Party believes in. The other model is the one from the New Deal. You know, the 1930s, the labor model, where it's populist model comes from the grassroots up. OK, we've just had a real world experiment in in the um, the top down model. Yeah. We brought in the best and the brightest. We turned everything over to them. They had a perfect, um, you know, the system had utterly discredited itself 1929 fashion. And what did they do? They bailed out their friends. They foamed the runway in the immortal phrase of one of these guys, right? They foamed the runway for the banks. Well, in the, truth, he brought in a lot of the people that championed the policies that led to the crash. Larry yeah. Summers. Mm -hmm. to yeah. Name. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the de deregulatory guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and there's no excuse for that. But at the same time, they, this, was, uh, this was experiment. And look where we are. The banks are all still, they're still in business. Uh, Silicon Valley is, is more powerful than ever. Um, the uh, you know uh, income inequality is worse than ever before. While Obama was president, the life expectancy in America started to go in reverse. This is one of the most basic uh, social indicators: the health of a society uh, yeah. is is longevity, and it's going in reverse. It still is, by the way. This is l largely due to uh, people in the part of America that I come from, um, you know, and opioids and meth and alcohol. Yeah. And guns. And uh, this is this is just incredible social dysfunction. We here in Washington sail along as though we don't know anything about it. It's not happening. And if it is, we don't really care. Those people probably deserve it. That's our experiment in social reform from the top down. It's a utter failure, utter failure. We have to try the other method, a social movement. We have to do it. Um, and if we don't, I mean, and I want to, I'm going to shut up after this remark, but you yourself said, it's like the more palatable Trump. And this is, that's, that, that is exactly it. Trump was a breakthrough of a kind for a certain, you know, for the Republican party. And they're never going to give like what he beat Hillary Clinton. He won, he won Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin. They're never going to retreat from that. No, that's, that's, that is the way forward. They can all see that. They're never retreating from that. They're never going. They're never going to say, "Oh shit, you know, we're going to go back to the Bush family." No, we're going to go back to Mitt Romney. No, this is the way forward. It's going to be one Trumpist after another of varying degrees of competence. And if we don't figure out how to beat these guys, this is the future. And uh, for next time, because if I asked you now, we'd go another hour. I'd love to delve into an alternative history. Where in 1946, I believe, FDR did not cave to the party bosses and kept Henry Wallace on the ticket 
And then when FDR yeah. died, we'll talk Henry about that Wallace. some other time. That was 19, oh, yeah. that was 1940, 40, uh, yeah, 1940. Me. And there were, uh, no, 44, excuse me, 44. 44. But it was yeah. also an interesting, we'll, we'll talk about it some other time, but that was also, uh, that campaign was fascinating. It was Roosevelt's probably his most radical campaign. Yeah. And uh, Truman, I mean, Truman gets a lot of uh, bad press from the left, but Truman also ran in 48, ran on universal health care, won against impossible odds. And I'll tell you a funny story about that sometime. And uh uh, and then tried to get it through. It was it was sort of the essential moment, you know. It's like we're going to get universal health care in America. It was a single payer system, is what he wanted, right. and was stopped by the AMA, American Medical Association. Fasc right. Fascinating story. Anyhow, till next time. Uh, yes. Thank you, Thomas Frank, uh, author. Definitely, if you can, read all his books. But my favorites: Listen Liberal, uh, which I read uh, a couple years ago. Thanks so much, and uh, take care.